they were almost like my university days, you know, a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot yeah. of my, it's a pretty amazing that when I was there, I think I was the second crop on the academy. It started like when I was a junior. So mm-hmm. your first crop was guys like Ed Clancy, Ed Clancy, uh, Cavendish. And then that second year was when Garant came on. Yeah. And then the following year is when like me, Stannard, oh, yeah. uh, G was on there. So G. the year that I was there, there was Cav was in and out because we were living in Italy. So he was riding with his German team. But then he'd come and race with us a little bit. G'day legends and welcome back to the Press Room Podcast presented by Zwift where fun is fast. Our title sponsor, how good. We just had Paris-Roubaix, Femmes, Avex, Zwift. That was an absolute belter and I hope you guys enjoyed the Paris-Roubaix episode. But let me read out a list of names for you, okay? Steve Cummings, Pete Kenner, Ed Clancy, Geraint Thomas, Ian Stannard, Adam Blythe, Simon Yates, Tom Pidcock, Ethan Hayter, and Mark Cavendish, and our guest today, Ben Swift. Now, all those names were a part of or had developed through the British Cycling Academy. Now, that academy was set up many moons ago by Dave Brailsford and Rod Ellingworth, and it still stands today, punching out some serious, serious talent. But it's a lot different to what it is uh, or what it was uh, in those early days with Clancy, Thomas, Cavendish, Ben Swift, Pete Kennard, that group, it was certainly different then. And Ben Swift, our guest today, who is the national British road race champion, and in fact, two years running, he's going to run us through what that academy was like. Okay, So it's a really interesting chat, hearing about those days when these kids started as a junior, were living in Manchester and Italy and Australia trying to develop into the world tour talents that they are today. So it's a really cracking episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. We also chat about uh, the early season racing and how the level has just gone up when you start. It's no longer uh, just rolling around in Argentina picking up wins. It's a lot, lot harder now. The level has risen, and we hear all about that from Ben Swift's perspective, which is awesome. But before we get stuck into the episode, big news this Wednesday, this Wednesday, the Press Room Pillow Zwift Ride is on 6am Australian Eastern Standard Time, which now, thanks to Daylight Savings, is only 4am for me here in lazy old Perth. So certainly a lot easier for me to get up, and all I need you guys to do is to join the ride. The link is going to be in below. What's special about this week's Press Room Pillow Ride? Well... We've got the crew from Attacker. Attacker, of course, a really, really special cycling apparel brand here in Australia, based in New South Wales, and they are going to be partnering with the press room. How good. And they're going to be on the ride, and so there's going to be some Attacker giveaways on that ride. We'll do some fun stuff and have a chat as well, and an episode of the press room will play as well. All right, legends, it's time to get stuck into the episode. You know what to do. Get on Zwift, okay? Maybe the commute. Back to work on a Tuesday, and I'll see you real soon. Never Perth, being Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, all uh-huh. the good side. <laughs> yeah, all the good side. The track's <laughs> okay here, though. <laughs> yeah, I never, it's out, outside now. Nah, we have not We have one indoor track, and we we there's like oh, there's one outdoor track, but it's like it's in the country, and um, okay. yeah, you could ride a mountain bike on it, but not a track bike. It's a bit overgrown. Oh, nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might have been at Perth before because... Um... No, we've done a lot of camps there. I was supposed to go, but I had to have a knee. Uh, it was before the Commie Games. Was it six, mm-hmm. 2006? Mm-hmm. We did a big camp there, but I had to have a knee operation, so I didn't mm. go. Yeah, okay. So when no. you're in you, Melbourne, you was that World Champs? Uh, yeah, I've been a couple of times. Youth Commie Games, mm. and we were in Bendigo, mm. and then, uh, yeah, World Champs in Melbourne. Mm. I'm trying to think if I've been there before. Is that where the Patriots are, Melbourne? Or are they out yeah. of Sydney? Uh, yeah. A little bit out of Melbourne, Geelong. Yeah, yeah, I was there in 11. Oh, you done Bay Crits? Yeah, long time ago oh, now. Wow. A long time ago. <laughs> That's crazy. Everyone's done that race. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Marco Haller a couple of weeks ago, um, and I, I even forgot that he did it and won it one year. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Like three years I ago. Just, with, um... It's a shame it's not the same. It's not. It's nowhere near the same level anymore now, eh? Nah, not you really. You everyone. You mm-hmm. see everyone over. But Yeah. That even, um, well, they used to have, uh, well, that's where like Caleb made his name. He was just a 16-year-old yeah. just beating these grown men. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's a good format. I, I hope you can come back. Um, the guy who runs it's pretty passionate, John, John Trevorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> he loves it, mate. I was, before this, I was listening to... Um, uh, the detour podcast with Dan Jones, yeah, the guy from Orica, he used to make those yeah, backstage yeah. passes. Yeah, and they had they had Caleb on. I was like, oh, well, listen to this. And John Trevorrow, the Bay Crits guy, is on there, and um, every chance he gets, he goes, he's got to drop the line, Bay Crits, and <laughs> <laughs> just slip it in. Oh, yeah, yeah. But hey, um, thanks for coming on. Um, really appreciate your time as well. And um, no worries. Are you on a training day? Or just more of a rest day. No. I- Day off today, complete day off. Like, nice. Yeah, yeah. I only got my, oh, had a bit of a long day yesterday. I had like a 3 a.m. wake-up call, three flights, just a long day, you know. So I was a bit nailed this morning, so it's all yeah. good. Okay, all good. Well, nice, mate, nice. How was uh, how was Valencia? Good. Bloody yeah. hard. Really yeah. hard, actually. It uh, used to be a chilled race, quite relaxed. <laughs> now it's... We see it every year, modern day cycling. It just seems to get worse and worse each year. You know, it's like <laughs> the worst bits were the descents. We were doing like the descents, like four or five abreast, just like racing for every corner, like 70, really? 80, 90 K an hour. Yeah. So it's got wow. another level, let's say. Yeah. Another level. It's, I mean, the early season races, at least when I first started watching cycling, uh, maybe like 2013, uh, I'm sure it was kind of like that back then. It was, you know, no one really turned up in form, eh? Like it was... Not yeah. exactly, you know. It's like <laughs> you cruise along, you'd race like the last 20K. Obviously, race. If it was a hard day, you'd have a good day. And hmm. like one day here, it took two day, uh, two hours for the break to go. And then straight up to the first mountain, everyone started attacking again. And then it was like... Oh. Yeah. I, I think... You reckon it's probably like... Yeah, all the young kids are so much better straight away now. And, you know, now that they get these, the races they're in, so they get to, well, they're, they're ready to get stuck in straight away. What yeah, there's a there's an element of that. I think the whole sport has stepped up. So mm. I'm not going to complain about that. Everybody, we say it now in our team, like no, no small race mentality. Go to every mm. race as if 
you know, like you can get wrapped into just only trying to target the big races and only like being happy when you win the big races. But yeah, if you're that good, go and win like a small race. You know, it's it's not an easy feat to win any race nowadays. And mm. you see in these races that you need to be in top shape to win anywhere. And as a first race of the season coming in, a little bit of shock to the system. But uh, mm. and also now like with all the technology that you've got, everybody's got Velaviewer, everybody studies maps and stuff like that. So every, there's no, there's almost like no element of surprise, any sort of crosswinds, potential crosswinds. It wasn't even windy. Everybody knows it like 50K before and you're already fighting for it. So it's, that's what, it's, it's everything, you know, it's just a bit of a combination yeah. of everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was watching the last stage and, um, yeah, it looked like you had a pretty good run into the line with uh, with Viv. You were there pretty late in the, in the stage. Um, when you're doing like a lead out for for a sprinter, especially in the early season races, are you guys kind of like trying different combinations of where you guys are in the train with the lead out? You know, like swap you for third, fourth man, then the next stage yeah. last. Well, I think if you first, you got to look at the team. The, the makeup of the team and the, the team that we had in uh, Valencia was, it was a good team, really, mm. a really strong team. Unfortunately, we lost Omar due to his crush that he had the day before. So he was somebody that would really have helped me uh, before, whereas Teo had to do that job. Obviously, we had Castro to help position us. We were third on GC, so we kind of were looking after Carlos as well. But when you look at that team, it wasn't a sprint team. There was only no, no. really me and Elia to, to work <laughs> for the sprint. So. Not the old days. Yeah, exactly. You know, so there's <laughs> like some of the other races, if we get together, say, I don't know, if we put a team together like me, Luke Rowe, Luke Plapp, Ghana, uh, Kutowski, you know, like we could make a team for, say, Hamburg, let's say, just pick any race. And we have a, a completely dialed lead out train where, yeah. your race completely different and it's much more easier. Whereas you could see my role yesterday and all the way through this race, it's like you're doing a lead out, but it's more than that. It's more about making sure he's okay from the last 10 K to sometimes you have to put him into position and then try and do something to force a reaction. Or mm. if everything's running a bit more smooth, you can stay there and then try and go late with him. But mm. you kind of see me on that video where I have to come up the side of uh, Morkov mm. and just trying to force a reaction for them to go earlier because, you know, I can't do everything. I can't. The yeah, speed yeah, that yeah. we're going now is it's you, you can't just sit there, relax, and then do a lead out at the end. You've, you've just got to play your cards that you've got. And, of course, we had a team that was strong and everybody got stuck in. Teo did an amazing job positioning yeah. us and stuff like that. But yeah, you've only got so much you can deal with. And luckily, you've got a fast guy in Ellie who can, as long as you put him in the right position. He's always there. And he's going he's gonna to be there. And I think we worked really well together. I think it was 2015 and 16, my last two years before. Yeah, I left Team Sky and he was there and we worked really well together. We got a couple of wins together. Yep. So I think we've got the same coach this year as well. So oh, no. I was speaking yesterday where it's like, you know, for a first race and not ridden together for four or five years, whatever it was, yeah, we got a second, third and fourth. It's it's not too Pretty, bad, you know? 
it's not disastrous, start. you know. And mm. unfortunately, you know, when you've got someone like Jakobsen, yeah, who's shown in that first one, he was just heads and shoulders above Shit. everybody, you know. <laughs> but then they've also got a full lead out train where, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good train what they've got. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's that's a good point you made. I actually haven't. I've talked a lot about lead outs the last few weeks, actually, and I haven't had um, anyone make the point of going. If you've only got a, you know, two of you or three of you, or uh, to go on the offensive and try and cause, you know, like you said, try and cause someone else in the trains to react, and it kind of jumbles the deck a bit. Um, yeah, exactly. That's I, a, mean, I haven't seen that. It's good. You've got you've got uh, obviously guys like Morkoff are so experienced and they'll use that and stuff like mm. that. But mm. you just got to read the situation and talk and have that confidence with each other, and you know almost off a feel if it's starting to run a little bit slow and you need to do something like that, you know what each other's going to do. And I think that's where already we've built a good base yeah. and then going forwards. I mean, I'm not going to race with Elliot for a, probably until Tirreno now. So, Okay. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's good for him because from what I could see just watching the race, I followed Viviani for a while and um, he seems like he's a confident sprinter. Like he needs mm. to sort of be up there and not necessarily win all the time, but just like he needs to be in the mix. And yeah, that's what it looks like. I think, yeah, you definitely saw that. You know, the the last year that he had at Sky, he was incredible. I think that was yeah. the, what the did start he win? of his. He won, like he won, he won, he won lot, uh, Hamburg, Plouet, three yep. stages or something in. I mean, I wasn't there. I was just watching from, uh, yeah. from the other team. But he, was prolific. he had a real strong run and I think that was mm. the start of his reign obviously he went to quick step and that's right two and, like, yeah. mm-hmm. and then unfortunately at Cofidis you know and that's where it's like the trust element once mm. stuff starts going wrong then you don't follow or you know you got you don't trust your guide to put you in the right place or stuff like that so I think it was encouraging on both fronts for yeah. me and for him mm. and for him to know that first race he's got people who are uh, know what they're doing in a way you know obviously yeah. goes back to it as well you know like what i was saying before the racing has got so chaotic now like mm. we saw the second sprint where jacobson got boxed in even with a an amazing lead out train yeah yeah like the finishes are becoming much more technical yeah. and all of a sudden everybody like that was a bit yeah if it i'm just happy it wasn't raining that stage let's put it that way <laughs> oh yeah there wouldn't have been many people left. It was hectic, mate. Uh, but I know what you're saying. There's, there's no, there's such a slim margin for error, isn't there, with, with sprinting now? And the level's higher. Um, yeah, as soon as you make one mistake, that's it. You're not coming yeah. back. Yeah. Um, one thing I've always been really interested in with British cycling is the British, the development ca- academy that you were on, you know, years mm. ago, you know, with the one that Rod Ellingworth uh, was well behind um yeah and mainly i came about it just from reading you know all these different books you know cal or cab's books and then someone else's book i can't remember i brought in this book and the, the whole academy always was so interesting to me because it was so successful um and i just wanted to know like what was it like being a part of that academy you know obviously it was focused on road and track and um yeah what was it like in that in those days it was pretty incredible, really. If I look back, they were almost like my university days, you know, a lot of fun. <laughs> a yeah. lot of my... It's a pretty amazing that when I was there, 
I think I was the second crop on the academy. It started like when I was a junior. So mm. your first crop was guys like Ed Clancy, Ed Clancy, uh, Cavendish, and then that second year was when Garant came on. Yeah, and then the following year is when like me, Stannard, oh yeah, uh, G was on there. So G, the year that I was there, there was Cav was in and out because we were living in Italy, so he was riding with his German team. But then mm. he'd come and race with us a little bit. Yeah. So it's like there was only five of us through the winter that did the mm. track as well. Mm. Uh, but then in the summer, we brought on a, a really good domestic rider, Ben Greenwood, and he came and out to Italy and lived with us. So, But it's pretty amazing from that six that was in that year, there was three of us that have been at the top level for yeah. 10, 10 or 12 years. You know, Garant's won the tour. Stanard, obviously... I was just watching his video from Newsblad. It popped up on my feed. <laughs> yeah. 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 guys. So I love that one. I always send it to my um, juniors and oh, my coach. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> I think obviously you've got to have the power to do that, and he had more yeah. more than enough power. But mm. yeah, looking back on those days, it was kind of a it was a bit of a strange run into it for me because I've been cycling my whole life. And I was always like winning, not necessarily on the road, but I was always skillful and I get the results by being uh, in the right place or knowing what yeah. to do on crits and stuff like that. And it's when the talent team started and that's when they started going around, looking at schools, getting people in oh, yeah. and they were all like, everybody's like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. You'll be straight on it. You'll be on it. Easy, easy, easy. So I did the test and you had to use like trainers on a turbo oh. and do these certain powers. I got the letter saying, no, oh, sorry, you've not, you're not good enough to make the, the talent team. And that was quite a bit of a shock, really. I bet. Uh, mm. and a shock for everyone else. You know, I was the only guy, everybody else was on it. So at a race, they'd all be on the talent team tent and I'd be oh. on my own. Yeah. But then one, one thing kind of led to another. That's where Rod really saw a change. It's like these numbers, numbers are one thing, but you need guys that can, can ride bikes and that's where a little bit of the idea stemmed from the academy he wanted to he could see like who the real cyclists and who the real yeah okay let's say talents were you know so he created this path where uh, i think he also like saw what the the australian guys were doing they had a similar setup i think they are in italy yeah. mm -hmm. so that's why we moved to italy because uh, it was obviously good racing and stuff like that. So, yeah, eventually I got myself onto the the junior program just by being a racer, you know, and yeah. could race, and then progressed then onto the to the academy in my year and stuff. So, but that first year I was useless on the road. I could finish, I could get round, but I got my head kicked in. Yeah, I was so I like so undeveloped and so small. I was good on the track, like yeah. really good on the track. Uh, we've got a fond memory actually where. My first race, my first weekend was on the track. Uh, we went away to Amsterdam. Me and Stanard did the whatever they call the six days. But six days, yeah. It was only three three days for the for us. Mm -hmm. And I think we finished second. But me and him were like there must have been about twenty kilo differences. So <laughs> it was quite. Uh, my shoulders took a bit of a battering in there. And then the okay. following weekend, I raced with G, who was on his second year. And I was flying and he obviously wasn't. He'd obviously had his boozy off season and he was a year <laughs> older, second year. Yeah. And he kept telling me off for attacking, but 
we ended up winning that race and it was obviously I was showing a lot more on the track and it's where mm. I could obviously your power to weight didn't really matter too much didn't matter here. yeah so and that's kind of where I where I was kind of going forwards but mm. yeah obviously worked a lot with Rod uh, we moved to Italy and it was just well, I look back on that and it was just it was an amazing time it was before all this you know like iPhones and all this sort of stuff so keeping in touch with your family was quite difficult like you'd have yeah. a an odd phone call every now and then but it was very much boys on tour like yeah. living in Italy living in Manchester all together you know uh, <laughs> yeah Just trying to look back now if we didn't have internet in the house we'd have to just go down to the local bar if we wanted to use the internet but yeah. back then like 2006 there wasn't really much on the internet to yeah it's rubbish to, yeah you know yeah. You, like you didn't so it was just very much just submerged in that mm. in that racing atmosphere and luckily i was with five of my best mates who were like mm. who i do classes like some of my best friends now you know yeah that's amazing it seemed like you guys had such a just i mean that's how it comes how you're describing it now is how it comes across uh that i've read in rod's book or, or cab's book they all mm. describe it the same way um and you, you almost had like a like it sounded like a like a brotherhood you guys had in there. Um, no, definitely, and it was yeah. it wasn't necessarily about drinking or partying or stuff like that because mm. we knew what they were there for. Obviously, we did have the the odd night out and stuff like that, and you know, like like you would do if like we're eighteen years old and stuff. Like yeah, but you're living with like like I said, your best friends, and then you know I just feel quite fortunate to have experienced that. And then progressed and almost, you know, like when I was young, there wasn't any pathway. We had one or two professionals, Roger Hammond, Dave Miller, yep. Chris Boardman. There wasn't really too many. And then we look at it now and, you know, like I can remember my first Grand Tour. There mm. was, Geraint should have been there, but he broke his pelvis. That's before, right. So there was like, like uh I think there was four of us from the academy that were on that race together, you know, as a first Grand Tour, which was pretty incredible for a British, British cycling yeah. point of view. Yeah, it is. And that, you know, you mentioned the, the development team had a base in, in Italy, uh, so you guys could could race there, just like the Aussies did as well. They had a mm. very similar setup there. The, was the racing in Italy hard? must have been difficult for, for you guys at that age. No, it definitely was. And I remember the first year, we just couldn't get in any races. The only way that we got in races is because we had Max Chiandri helping us. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And he lived in the village where we lived and we used his name. But I think we raced 25 days. And I think when Rod was speaking to the uh, the Australian management, they were, they experienced the same. It's like first mm -hmm. in, it's almost a bit of like a, an insider's club, you know, like we're only yeah. in like the, the clubs that... And then once you start like almost proving yourself, because like I say, at that time, we didn't really have any names. British British cycling was yeah. track-based. Just track good on the track, but mm. nobody was anything on the track on, on the road. We'd not really won anything of any standard yeah. and consistently. So that first year was quite difficult and we got stuck in. We got a few good results, but the next year we started to get in more races and I remember we came out and towards the end we were like the ones turning races down because we were in like high demand oh, which was obviously great you know you know yeah. that's like once you're progressing like that and stuff like that so it was it was definitely hard racing and yeah. let's just say 
that era and that time in Italy could have been quite sketchy mm-hmm. uh, with cer- certain clubs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. like, I look at uh, one of my results now where I won the race and I think two, week- two weeks later, the guy who was second was positive and then, like, yeah. you know, it was uh, 2006, <laughs> I think. In uh, in Italy was uh, yeah, not a, it, that's for sure. Not a great tie. Anyone that wasn't positive was holding on to the team cars up the climbs. I eh? yeah, and that's the other thing. I remember <laughs> being out the back in the baby Giro, and the ambulance coming past me, and it had about twelve guys hanging off the back of it. It's just like, but I remember we were like, we were f- not not forced, but if we ever got caught or saw holding onto a car. That was no it. Races. We were gone home. You yeah, know, like yeah. if you're not good enough to be to finish the race, mm. don't be there. And if you're going to hold on, don't be there. You know, if mm. you struggle and push and work hard, and then don't make make the time limit, that's it. That's bike racing. You go home and work a bit harder. You know, that sounds like Rod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what's it like? Because Rod's obviously back at. Um... Well, back with you now, Team Enios, which mm. is so cool. Um, so I'm glad that he's back there. Is is Rod? Um, is he in the same sort of role now, but obviously with adults than back then? Or is it yeah. like in terms of how he operates? It's kind of interesting because I've obviously known Rod now for long time, like since 2004. You know, so nearly. Wow. Well, known years. him, known him a little bit longer, but worked with him since. Uh, October 2005 so it's it's a long 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 working relationship and we've kind of progressed he was obviously my coach on the academy coached mm-hmm. me when I was on Katusha Katusha looked after me all my way up until uh, really when I left and not just a coach like a real sort of mentor, mentor. soundboard we discussed a lot when I was like thinking about leaving Team Sky we just he was like my main person that I was speaking to and getting ideas and reasonings and stuff like that and then obviously when I came back he was one of the main people that I was speaking to Mm. but he kind of changed roles in the team then he wasn't really coaching and stuff like that and obviously now he's progressed into the more management running the team uh okay so that's more like yeah it's it's kind of difficult for me because obviously I see him as like management, but also we've got such a long history. history and working relationship that where maybe some of the new guys seem a bit different, like see him mm. as, obviously I see him as like one of the bosses now and got yeah. that respect and stuff like that. But it's easier for me to talk to him than maybe some other guys might be not necessarily intimidated, but you know what I mean? Like when they- Yeah, they you know him, big, you've got the history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, really you grew up with that, him. But, yeah, exactly. Mm. So, mm. oh, it's really cool. It's it's a great story, and it's um, I, I always wonder if something like that um could be set up, you know, like, even just the way it was run now, and would it pull the same? Like, do you think if something like that was in place now, that academy run that way, would it still be Work. effective? Yeah, I don't know. I mean. The academy obviously is still happening. It's still yeah. going. Mm-hmm. But it is, I had a, there's just a lot of changed in British cycling and, and that academy. And I think what you see now, you're seeing a lot of amateur teams or like a lot of the pro teams having development teams where that wasn't really the case before. 
Mm. And a lot of these amateur teams are actually whoa, Pretty good, super eh? professional now. This really good, super professional. And that's a little bit with why the Peloton's going so fast now because already there's almost no apprenticeship anymore. I remember when... <laughs> My, normally when I when I like you turn pro younger, there's you learn the ropes, that's when you learn, you mm. you progress. If you get a good result then then fair enough. But already now, these young guys, 18, 19, 20 year olds, they know everything about altitude training, nutrition, power, balance. Yeah. I didn't even have power crunks when I was under 23. Wow. Wow. In, in Katusha, we just I didn't even wear a heart rate monitor. It was just literally just a speedo on your bike and stuff, you know? <laughs> so they know everything and that's where, that's progression. And that's why the sport is becoming better. There's obviously more money coming to the sport and mm. it's a good thing. It's harder. <laughs> Don't get mm. me wrong, but I think also I prefer it like this. It gives you a little bit more, I want to say length in your career, I think, because you train smarter, you train better. Yeah. Everything's just everyone's looked after better as well. Every team's got a physio, mm. uh, like full teams. It's, it's, a, it's come out of the age of some pro teams, whereas now everybody, the whole level is just is better. Yeah, everything but rises. In terms yeah. of that academy setup, I think it's quite hard now for a national team to do that because I think mm. there's so many, you know, you look at Action, look at the DSM, the, all these... Gambo. young teams mm. that are then affiliated with teams that come in and do pro races as well. Yeah, it's, uh, The game's changed a little bit and mm. maybe there is a place for it with the right setup, but under a trade team, maybe not a national team. Hey legends, I hope you're enjoying the episode with Ben Swift so far. What a cracking bit of chat it is and there's more on the backside of this if you are enjoying the episode, it would mean a huge amount to me and the podcast growth. If you can leave a review on Apple or on Spotify, really easy, takes 30 seconds and it makes a big difference to the podcast. But I wonder how many tuned in for the Oz Cycling Club eSports series that happened last Thursday. And in fact, it's going to be the next five Thursdays, a six-week competition pitching all the clubs around Australia can race on Zwift and um, the winner gets their own jersey in the game, which is pretty cool because on Zwift, everyone's looking for that unique jersey that no one else has. And so winning the club's jersey would be pretty sick. But I wonder, if you were listening, did you notice who was commentating? That's right, yours truly. Jethro from the press room was sharing the commentating duties with Matthew Keenan. How good was that? So if you want to catch a bit of commentary and a bit of cool race chat, uh, on a Thursday evening, tune in. Uh, the links it's streamed on YouTube, and you can hear myself. And I think this week it's Gracie Elvin um, commentating, and it's a bit of fun. Last week was one, or at least the men's race was won by Mashed Potato. That was the guy's name. Absolutely hilarious. So um, <laughs> definitely worth tuning in or watching if you're interested in that. But anyway, legends, let's go back to the podcast with my man Ben Swift. Hope you're enjoying it. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. It's always a personnel as well that has such a big force behind it. Mm. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned the like Axion and, and DSM and stuff. And I was I was I was talking to um 
uh, Finn Fisher Black. You know, he's on mm. UAE, the Kiwi, yeah. And he was, I was asking him about the Yumbo team, and he said it was pretty much exactly like the World Tour team. They got everything they got. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. And they bikes. even raced, you know. Yeah, yeah. He stepped up and raced race. with them. Yeah, yeah. So that's where <laughs> I met him first time in uh, Copper Oh, Barton, shit. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A couple of years yeah. ago. So. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, in terms of your career, Ben, I mean, you've had really good career, still going good. Obviously, British National Road Race champ, last two times, mm. last two years. Yeah, 2020 is cancelled. It seems like, but the bulk of your results, I guess, when you're riding for yourself predominantly, or more so in the early years, say like 20, I don't know, 20, 2009 to 2016, maybe. Mm. That's where the most of your results are now. But it seems like in the last two years, you're kind of racing like, as good as then. Does it feel like that? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's like what I said before. I think we've seen a massive shift in the way that the races are run and the teams are run. Mm. Uh, when I first turned pro, I was fortunate enough to get given an opportunity to, to race for myself in mm. in Katusha and I got results straight away so then yeah. results kind of breed sort of opportunities and I think it was more about as soon as you take an opportunity and just keep trying uh, try and get a result wherever you can you, you get more and more opportunities mm. and then obviously when I joined Team Sky we we really worked hard on that uh, lead out train and I think it was in uh, yeah I won the team's first GC race off the back of lead outs like we had full, like if I look back at my lead outs that I've had in the past, it was like Gary Thomas, Bradley Wiggins, uh, Matt Heyman, uh, oh, yeah. CJ Sutton, Henderson <laughs> led me out in, uh, you know, we had full, that's kind of where we were really strong because I think from that track background and that discipline, yeah. we kind of knew and the riders that we brought in early, obviously we were trying to win the tour, but we actually showed strength in, in our sprint inside and luckily I could climb quite well so I was getting over the hills fresher and stuff so mm. yeah a lot of my results uh, if you look at I've not won that many races I think I've won 15 races but my seconds and thirds fourths and fifths hates mate just like if I could have converted half of them I'd be a happy man <laughs> I'm already a happy man but you know like yeah it, man. but it's like I it, it just goes back to that taking those opportunities and the more that you're you're there knocking on the door, I think the more mm. you're going to get. And then, yeah, it was kind of 2016 where I remember being in Australia with uh, Luke. I'm not sure if G was there. I think G was there. Luke, G, Stanard. I was like, you know what, guys, I've kind of been going down this road now of climbing better, doing that half domestic role. I'm really enjoying it. But I'm having to do stuff where then I'm getting limited in the finishers. Maybe with the right team and the right, I don't know, can I be better or is this as good as I'm going to be? Is this where, where I am? And then uh, it went on a little bit more throughout that year and I was doing like drill rolls again. You know, I was, I was getting a lot of seconds, a lot of thirds. Uh, but also like one thing that sticks out to me was, which was pretty much a deciding factor. We were in Paris-Nice and we like completely dominated the crosswinds, selected the group. The whole team was there. <laughs> Everything was like really good. Uh, my job was to really look after G 
and until 3k to go so i was like having to do so much work it was the stage that we had the gravel sections as well so we're crosswinds into mm, gravel yeah. into a sprint right. finish though so, you know like just constantly doing a load of stuff and then it was like 3k to go okay you're free to do the sprint i'm like oh man oh, yeah a little bit cooked now to be fair <laughs> uh, i was like all right just we're here we're in a select group do it and i remember i got second on the stage and i was like Whoa. you know if i did not have to do all that work is that the deciding factor but anyway mm. you know it's like i'm not complaining uh, yeah that's just what it was it's who I, it is what it was and mm. then i remember i was like one of the last men in the mountains with g i was like Phew. and then i was second in san rumo and then second in <sighs> catalonia and i was like there's just something i'm having to do a lot of work here but there's something maybe if i don't have to do all this work if i can be much more selfish am i going to be better mm. or is this or am i getting the results because i'm doing this work to put myself in the position you know what in i mean the position yeah, yeah 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 so it was like kind of going through the year i was yeah it was probably one of my most successful years 2016 mm. with 16. in terms of i think i only won one or two races but i was so many top tens man so yeah. many top tens second places mm. and then the call the opportunity came uh to to really look after myself and go for mm. this opportunity and that's where i said i was speaking to rod a lot i was like yeah i don't know you know it's it's kind of an now or never moment in my career i either go see yeah. what i can do with complete freedom if i can be as good as i can be or if this is the level you know it's it's a massive change because i've been in the team team sky for seven years yeah being, yeah with the management for like since 2004 since I <laughs> yeah. came on to the, to the scene so I know everybody I was familiar and it, it's not that you're familiar and comfortable I was still pushing and I was getting better and better so we decided uh, with my personal management and with uh, obviously off the advice of, of Rod and stuff like that and my family that, right this is the time I'm 29 take it now and then we'll see yeah. what happens after yeah and for one reason or other i don't know it was it was when lamprey was changing to uae oh yeah and it wasn't like they're obviously a fantastic team now now it was yeah. very it was in a very tran uh, transitional stage of mm. a very average team turning into <laughs> a good team and for me on my my part i just never got into I never got to the, I, I showed glimmers and showed potential and stuff like that, but I would never, I was never as good, whether that was, I don't know, whether I wasn't happy there or whether I was just trying to do too much. I remember looking back at my training now, I was like, Phew. no wonder I was like, not going, I was trying to do everything. Really? Where it was like, yeah. And, and just nothing was, nothing was working. And I, I don't think I had the support around me there to identify nah. the mistakes that I was making. Mm. Mm. And then the opportunity came to come back to Team Sky uh, and I took it with both hands, you know, and obviously back in that setup, I was with a new coach. I had that full support, which you actually realised that you'd missed mm. and the attention to just everything that I was so used to and everything just started clicking again i kind of changed my way of riding a little bit i was like mm. okay i've tried this now my job here now is to look after the young guys a little bit and just be the best i can be if i get yeah. results along the way then perfect but then i think what we saw 
throughout 2019, I was really happy to do that dual role, you know, like work for the team, uh, be the best I can be. But by being the best I can be and working for the team, I was putting myself in the best place to get results mm-hmm. for myself. Mm-hmm. And then stuff just clicked. And I think I just went from almost strength to strength. And I think that's also the way that cycling is now. Like it used to be that once you got to 30 into your like early 30s, mid-30s, that was it. You was looking at the end of the mm-hmm. career. Whereas now, poor, I think there's so many older guys like look at Van Aven, Matt, obviously Valverde. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about like these guys are like talents and phenomenal talents anyway, but you're seeing a lot of older guys extending mm-hmm. their careers and still and still riding really well. And I feel that's where where I'm at now. You know, I don't feel mm. like I think those two years at UAE, I felt tired and I just felt fatigued. Whereas now I feel rejuvenated, fresh, happy yeah. with my place in the team. Yeah, happy nice. with, like I never thought that I'd have been double national champion, a top 20 <laughs> in a grand tour, leading yeah. people out in mountains, leading sprints and just enjoying it. And I think that's the, the most important part. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I saw that this morning. 18th in the Giro. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously, that was a peculiar Giro. Like still, a, a very still, I know, but you're still ahead. Did. Yeah, I was. But, and then it's also like looking back at that, we lost G early due mm-hmm. to his crush. And uh, our team dynamic changed from that moment in. Mm-hmm. We were all about racing. And I think we showed a new side to the team that what we could do. And we just thrived on it. And then it was like, hold on, we're actually really close to the team GC here. Let's go for that. Why not like try and get something out of the race? Yeah. So obviously I was climbing well enough, but when I was getting dropped for team GC, you still had to like, not like kill yourself, but not turn off the taps. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like you're not losing as much time as you potentially would if mm. you would like go in super, not super easy, obviously. And yeah. Then obviously, we ended up winning the race with Taylor, which was, <laughs> which was amazing, you know? Uh, yeah. So we turned a race around completely. And yeah, as I said, like with them circumstances, not completely shutting down and teams going mm. home and two Grand Tours running at the same time. It was, it was, uh, the stars aligned for me in that Grand Tour. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's interesting for you as a rider because you're so versatile. You can compete in, you know, in almost, you know, bunch of sprints, reduced bunch sprints, but then you can climb really well. And then obviously you've got the engine to sort of move around the bunch mm. and, and position people as well late in the game. And it's like, uh, yeah, like it must feel really good to be, um, like to feel valuable for the team. Yeah, and I think that's where you thrive on it, you know, like when you're doing them sort of jobs and yeah. everybody's happy and stuff like that. And it's like... With bunch sprinting now, you've seen it's become it's become so specialized, like to be a, a pure out and out bunch sprinter is where we don't really see these almost select groups anymore. It's either mm. a full bunch sprint or a full on like day now. Mm. So I think for me, when I got my results out of sprinting when it was a time when I could kind of I was pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and whereas now I've always kind of been able to climb. So worked on that a little bit more and then mm. put myself in positions that when it happens, it happens, but then also getting just as much satisfaction out of 
doing in the best job I can for my team. Mm. Yeah, that's sweet. That's so good, mate. Um, are you? Uh, do you have a race this year that you're you're really looking forward to? Outside of British Road Nationals. Yeah, so that's that's a big target. I need to try and keep that jersey. <laughs> oh, I've got three used to it now. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because I've had that jersey since 2019 now. Like obviously I've got a year for free, but uh, yeah. Because I was talking with someone, it's going to look a bit strange if I don't ever wear it again. It will, mate. Sure, it will. But yeah. yeah, I might be able to sneak away then, actually, so nobody will notice me. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think. You know, like last year. It was kind of a bit of a strange year for me. I came out with the Giro in 2020, obviously having done a really good ride. Mm. My morale and confidence was sky high. Mm. I was like, Whoa, I found a new level for myself. I'm going to go and I'm going to crush 2021. And But I think actually I came out of that Giro on my knees. I didn't realize huh. it. The man, like we talk about the man with a hammer or, the wall or something like it, it never came. I was waiting for it to come. You know, I was waiting for my day where I was absolutely just going to be dead and, you know, like back yeah. in the group and stuff like that. And the last day was in Sestria. I was starting to get, I was like, Oh, I'm not on a, I'm not on a great day here. But <laughs> my level was actually that good that I was, I was there until, until Rowan did his thing. On, yeah. On, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. That final thing. Uh, but I think, coming out of that with it finishing so late in October as well, I didn't actually appreciate how much it had taken out of me and how huh. like fatigued I actually was. Because uh, obviously my condition and my, my weight and my was in a really good place. So it wasn't, everything kind of happened a lot later. So I didn't really put on much weight in my off season. Mm. Then in December, I never really got, into training as quickly or, or too much. And then when you're starting to try and get fit again in like January, especially with all the COVID stuff, obviously you guys have had an extreme, extreme circumstances of that. But also like us as Brits, we were limited to where we could go. We weren't allowed into like France. We weren't allowed into Spain. So I couldn't go on the oh, team shit. training camps, you know? So it was, it was a little bit. And also my, my partner was, was pregnant for the second time and she, she was having a really difficult time of it with uh, high premises and stuff. So mm. I think subconsciously a lot of that was without me realizing it, a lot of it was kind of weighing on me. And in when January came, I was actually my heaviest that I'd, I'd been all oh, winter. Shit. Yeah. I was perhaps like going my worst because <laughs> everything just kind of, and then I was like trying to play catch up. And yeah. It was just never, it was just wasn't working. The, the racing wasn't clicking for me. Uh, where I thought I was supposed to be really good, I was, I was really bad. So then it starts playing on your head and just, just everything. We got to the end of pay basque. I just, I, that was the other thing. I just kept put, getting put in race after race after race. Oh, yeah. so actually, the fatigue was just building up. And then I remember in pay basque, I was like, look, something's, I can't go to the Giro like, like this. I'm not, I'm not in the form. I've not mm. got the heads. I'm not in the right headspace for it we just need to stop and I need to take a break. So we decided after pay basque, we just stopped, uh, completely shut it down, mm. uh, reset the button, uh, which was good. I needed that. I think without, without actually, I think as pro cyclists, you, you, you keep pushing and pushing and pushing. 
and you need to really look at yourself sometimes and realize when to stop and when you're digging yourself in a hole. Hmm. And then after that break, everything started clicking again. Uh, Lizzie oh, gave birth to, to Harry, who was, and after that moment, everything just went, went great. You know, wow. she was a lot, she was a lot healthier, a lot, a lot in a better place. Uh, I got myself into good condition. And I, I think we saw throughout the back end of last year, I started to turn things around again. I started yeah, to be man. the rider that, that I, I could be, uh, which was good for the head. You know, I finished on a, on a strong yeah. note. Obviously, winning the nationals was was a massive confidence. Uh, like I actually am still still good and can yeah. still do this, you know. So then I signed a new two year deal and everything was just good again. And I think mm. I finished the season okay, not as good as twenty twenty. Obviously, finishing with the Grand mm. Tour, I was I was super fit, but I wasn't far off that level. But I was yeah. a lot fresher, a lot mentally mm. fresher, and a lot physically fresher and not as tired. So I think this winter, new goals. Uh, I was like, you know what? I want to try and go back for the classics again. Uh, 2020, I was all about them. Yeah. It got derailed with the COVID. Uh, 2021, I was useless. <laughs> I was a, yeah, a shell. So let's really, uh, 2021, my first actual result was back in the classics. Uh, in GP Dinan, that's where I first got my, my first podium again, where... Mm, mm. The, the the trend was starting to come good so I was like you know what I, I had so much fun of those races again let's let's work on those I'd like to do a Grand Tour so probably the Vuelta because you can't do the Cobble Classics and the Giro is a bit too much yeah so I was like right let's let's work on those they're the goals that I want to do mm. but then the teams okay. come around and said yeah you do I actually got an amazing program you know so do this with and I'm on the long list for the Giro so probably won't do Roubaix so it's kind of everything again. Oh, yeah. You know, but yeah, we'll yeah. see. I mean, the Giro is, I'm, I'm on a long list of 11 riders. So, but that's the, that's the goal, you know, that's mm-hmm. the one race that I'm, along with the early classics until Flanders. So that's the mm. plan at the minute up until Flanders and then switch yep. over. So I think, yeah. And for me, it just everything, you know, I've got a, Again, I've got a new role. Work with the young guys. Work with like Luke and, and Magnus oh. and Ben Tullet, Ben Turner, all these oh. guys. But then also work with the 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 best guys trying to win a Grand Tour and trying to win the classics. Mm. And if I can pick something along the way, perfect. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, sweet. That's uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Those those young boys are lucky to have someone like you, Ben. Just uh guiding yeah. them and showing them what to do because um yeah. yeah as long as they Jeez. go slow enough that'll be all right yeah they can move eh? <laughs> tell <laughs> me about move. it <laughs> uh sweet man well um i just got a couple more questions i wondered if like you mentioned when you you, you couldn't go far in 2020 2021 um could go to france etc etc did you ever get on the turbo like, were you just on the trainer? Like, just yeah. So I had to do a fair bit, you know. Like, I've had a, like a lot of history on the table with my shoulder injuries and stuff like that. So I've always, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was before Zwift, before Zwift oh, came around. So uh, just garage to me, it was just yeah, yeah. <laughs> Music on as loud as it going off, you go just and do your work. So I know how quite how viable the turbo is, but then with all this COVID stuff, 
every time I moved around, if I came back to the Isle of Man, I'd have to be in isolation. Mm. Luckily, I was allowed to do it at home and I got granted permission to train alone after one week. But the first week of those, I always have to be on the turbo. So, you know, I think that was, it was a lot for everybody. You know, it was, but that, that winter was, yeah, not being able to go on training camps and just not being able to do what you feel like normal to be able to do was, uh, yeah, I kind of struggled with it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do when you're, um, yeah, just I imagine that would have been really hard. Yeah. <laughs> when you're on the turbo, do you still use just music on straight on or you, you get on the Zwift or you use any of that? No, I use, I use Zwift now. Definitely. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a massive feature. I think it's, it's been, it's changed that whole indoor riding dramatically. Luckily, I don't Sorry. have to do too much, too much on it anymore and stuff like that. Whereas, uh, but I think if you've got to do it, it's a great feature to have. Mm, it is cool. You know, the first, like, um, especially if you've got no, if you can't ride outside or you're quarantined, um, it's such a good platform because oh, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. the closest thing you get to outside. Um, or yeah, exactly. Yeah, riding on the moon. I've heard they're, they're thinking about putting a moon stage on there, like a, a moon world. Really? Yeah, you know, like oh, Rainbow yeah. Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but um, yes, you mine, can, eh? You can. Well, you can do whatever you like. The first first Zwift race I ever did, actually, the first time I ever rode on Zwift was a race around London, and Cavendish mm. was in it. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah, I was on my turbo in my in my kitchen and I was cooking. I had no fan. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I was melting. But I was like, oh, Kevin, this is in the race. So this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> they were horrific races. I mean, oh. I think some people have got a bit of a either dodgy turbos or dodgy power inputs, but yeah, certainly yeah. like that. It's, it's good. It's good work, so. It is, it is. Um, all right, and I've got one last question. Um, if you can draft one team, one rider who rides currently into your team, who would it be? Whoa. Anyone. Probably Morkov. It'd make my life a bit easier. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think he's... Uh, I, I, like with him, you know, he's... I think he's two two or three years older than I am. And he's mm. having his best best couple of years oh, these man. last couple of years. He's, he's gone from strength to strength to strength and... What he's doing is an amazing job, and it's not just with one person; it's it's an array of with array anyone, of eh? with yeah. anyone. And I think you know it's easy to see guys like Valverde or Gilbert Van Avermaet or <laughs> these guys who've been prolific throughout their careers still going well now, and it's amazing. But that's what I was saying. It's like a lot of guys are still going good late in their careers, and mm. you look at Morkov, I think. Is he 35 or 36? I, I can't he's, remember. I think 36. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 36. I think he is. I think he's two years older than I am. And Mate, Olympic gold. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like <laughs> that whole, that whole sort of like, the whole cycling book has gone out the window. Like you've got mm. guys that are 21 winning like Grand Tours, oh. whereas, right. you know, and then guys that are older doing an amazing job and getting results. Mm. And mm. yeah, so yeah, he'd make my life easier. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Cool, man. Well, um, thanks so much, Ben, for, for chatting. You're such a good, um, you're such a good speaker, and um, yeah, it was really cool to hear, um, you know, yeah. all about what we talked about. So, thanks a lot. Lovely. Cheers, mate.
right, legends, that is another episode of the Press Room Podcast done and dusted. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to some of the episodes from last week's Roubaix specials with Emma Norsgaard, Ellen Van Dyke, absolutely ripping. Don't forget about the Attacker Press Room Pillow group ride this Wednesday. Love to see you on there. And please challenge me to a sprint because I can't even get out of the paper bag these days. Also, Big shout out to Smith Optics. Don't forget one of our, well, I guess our eyewear partner of the press room. So if you need any sick sunnies, just hold on, okay? Waiting on a bit of a package. There's going to be some giveaways. Some sunnies are just going to be flung left, right, center, like Giulio Ciccone style in that wet Giro Stage 1 where he just yeeted his sunnies into the crowd. That's going to be you guys. Instead, I'm going to be doing it via post. All right, legends, I'll see you real soon for the next episode of the Press Room Podcast.